TJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, Twitter's been booming here, PK, while we've been talking over the last uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, We were doing What is Trending an hour ago, and when we both saw on the screen, while we were doing it, ESPN had their breaking news right in the middle of that segment. Adam Schefter with it. Yeah, Adam Schefter. Hey, it's getting close in Jacksonville. Now we have a combination, the national media reporting with a combination of it's done and it's not done yet. They're meeting... Today, deal is expected today. There's no press conference planned yet, but yeah, it's clear that's where this is going. It's gotten too close not to get done at this point. Well, I was told last week that, that, you know, watch out for Morgan taking that gig. And uh, will he be a position coach or a coordinator? uh, I don't know that. Okay. I can't say that, but uh, they were thinking coordinator. And I spoke to, I I haven't spoken to Morgan because I don't want to jeopardize a friendship with Morgan. Let him be. Uh, so I'm abundantly clear on that. I'm not going to lie and say I have, but I spoke to multiple people that know him very well and uh, thinking that, yes, it's a serious thing. They thought Urban was going to take the job. Uh, they weren't saying they had any particular insight, just outside of feeling, so that's why I didn't come on here earlier in the week and say uh, Urban will be taking that job because I didn't know it. Uh, but I felt like it was a strong deal. You know, I, I understand that he's kept a house in the Gainesville area, and that's just up the, I think it's the 301 there, and it's like an hour and 15 minutes away uh, from there. So, Logan, Logan to Salt Lake. It's sort of, you know, certainly geographically close. Uh, it's doable if you need to get over there, whatever it might be. So that there was a strong possibility, and then that Morgan would go in that direction, at least seriously consider. Now, I, the folks that I spoke to, actually thought he should take it. And one of them brought up the example of Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson moving around, a former Ute quarterback, obviously former offensive coordinator for a little bit, got that job very young, and then moved around over there, Mississippi State, Houston, back to Florida. And he was in the running for the Boise State job. And Morgan, and he was, uh, when I was down in um, Austin, Last year, or not Austin, but San Antonio, for the Alamo Bowl, got down there a couple days early, and the Texas media was saying that Texas was possibly interested in him being the defensive coordinator, and it makes sense because right about that time, Mark Harlan announced a raise for Morgan, and then the coach in waiting, which they it was obvious, and I asked Morgan about it publicly, and he said, you know, he didn't want to comment on that, which we knew that was the coach of waiting. And then when the thing came up this past summer with all that, uh, the N-word and all that stuff on the text, then we knew that Mark Harlan had stripped Morgan of half his salary and the coach in waiting. So the point being, Brian Johnson has gotten a base experience. He's interviewing for a head coaching job at Boise. Morgan hadn't reached that level. So the point that these guys were telling me is that Morgan should seriously consider this opportunity to work under Urban because Urban's gold. <laughs> and, and it's like Nick Saban. And so look at all the reclamation projects that Nick Saban has gotten head coaching jobs. Not, And that's just reclamation projects with Sarkeesian, Kiffin, and Loxley, who went to Maryland, and we know about Kiffin. And Loxley was just an absolute disaster at New Mexico. It couldn't have gone worse. And now he's a, a head coach in, in, uh, at Maryland. And so look at that. That's that's pretty good job, right? You and then fail you've also got in other the, guys. You fail completely in the Mountain West. Miserably. And you yeah, end miserably. up in the Big Ten. Miserably fail. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
and it is New Mexico. It's tough to win there. But you you oh, set for... standards for suckitude. Uh, so uh, you, and you go to Nick rehabilitates you and look at what you're doing. Uh, and then there's been other guys that you know they didn't need rehabilitation. You know Kirby Smart and uh, other guys that were good didn't have some baggage like that. Well, Urban can do the same thing. Um, this guy, I have no doubt, it's not going to be next year because they only won one ball game this year, uh, but I have no doubt that he'll be successful because he's Urban Meyer, and he is unlike any coach that I've been around, and I've been around many coaches who've won national titles. I'm, ge- I'm getting up there in terms of experience, so when I speak of Urban Meyer, was one of them, you can speak to it too, was really something I believe is to be successful, so it might be a very great career move. Now, you, you, Urban, Oregon's a Utah kid here, obviously, and his family's here, and I told him once I was coming up the uh, the 10th fairway at Bonneville, and there's that the Little League baseball fields right next to him, right uh, along the fairway to the south, right? And I was getting ready to hit my ball, and it was opening day in the Little League, and they had the PA system. And they go, now batting, number whatever, Bud Scally. <laughs> <laughs> so I told Morgan, I said, yeah. I said, I'm hearing that, and I know that was his grandfather's name. He says, oh, yeah, that's his brother's son. So he's rooted in the community big time, obviously. But this might be the right career move to go down and well, the, work for Urban. The bonuses for him are you make a lot more connections, you get to know more people. You learn about the NFL, which it's still football, so it's the same, but it's also a whole different beast. And if you want to go back to college football, the credibility you have when you're recruiting to say, I've coached in the NFL, I can tell you exactly what they're looking for. I can tell you exactly what you need to get there. You know, and for in Morgan's case, his case will be, well, I've been in college and I sent guys to the NFL and now I've been in the NFL and seen what they're looking for. You know, who who are you going to trust? I'm going to tell you how to get there. You know, I I know what defensive backs have to do, I know what linebackers have to do and I know what D-linemen have to do. I've been on both sides of this. So, to your point about setting you up for the future, absolutely. The coaches who stayed in the community and haven't moved around, you know, that you can overcome it, but it's definitely a strike against you. Now, Kyle overcame it and got the head coaching job at the University of Utah. Jeff Judkins did not. You know, and you can look back and say it was a mistake. Look how it's gone. You know, they didn't go into the, the Rick Majerus coaching tree. There wasn't much there, but Juddy was a guy who could have been there. You know, how have the last 15 years gone? You know, they got two NCAA tournament trips in 15 years under three different coaches. So maybe they should have gone that way. But that, that, Juddy, that was definitely held against him, not leaving the state and moving around. Well, he made a family decision, so yeah. more power to him. That's right. what he wanted. Right. Good on him. So for Morgan going forward, based on what do you want, you know, yeah. if you want this, you probably need to leave the state, go into the NFL with Urban. If it doesn't work in coaching circles, no big deal. Oh, Everybody's got that on their resume. <laughs> if it does work, you're golden. If it doesn't work, you explain it away, you go back to college, and they're happy to have you. I mean, who had a worse NFL experience than Bill O'Brien? That ended hideously, and Nick Saban wants him as an offensive coordinator. And if you can explain that away, you can explain anything away. 
You know, with coaches, sometimes it doesn't work. And all coaches know there's stuff out of your control because of ADs, well, because of boosters, because of NFL GMs and personnel people. All yeah, coaches Brian, know maybe that. it didn't work at the end, but he got his team to the postseason. He did. Times. He did. Well, and that's so, the other thing to consider. You know, there's working and not working, and then there's it's, and a, mixed, fine. it's a mixed bag. He's, once you're in, you're in. You can right. just recirculate. If Loxley can be a head coach, then then Morgan Scali can be a defensive coordinator somewhere. I'm not worried about that. Uh, and the idea being that, and I was also told, you know, Kyle's not going anywhere anytime soon. So you can be the even if you were going to be the coach in waiting, uh, waiting was the key word there. And Kyle, at least three years, you know, so could change. When I hear coach in waiting. I think, and, and this is just me off the top of my head, so there's no sciences. When I hear coaching waiting, if it's a year, okay, probably. If it's more than one year, there's a really good chance it goes sideways, and there are lots of examples of that. Once you start getting well, out to two to three years, it doesn't really work. Nothing's static. You know? It doesn't have to go sideways. You just move on. I yes. mean, Hopkins was coaching waiting for Beheim at Syracuse. Well, mm-hmm. Beheim's 67, 76 years old. How long I got to wait? So he takes off and goes to Seattle. And the idea of University of Washington and the idea that Sarkeesian was the coach in waiting at Alabama, well, Texas comes calling. So you actually have leverage if you're the coach in waiting, too. So you can use that and spin it off to something else. But Morgan, you know, he doesn't have any head coaching experience, and he's a D.C. under a D.C. Uh, under a D.C. What I mean by that is Fred Whittingham is the top of the chain, then there's Kyle. And then there's Morgan, Fred being his father. And so, I mean, I, Dick Harmon wrote a piece on, he talked to Norm Chow the other day, and, he, and I saw it, and he went through, what do you think about this guy? And Norm Chow gave his opinion on it. And once I figured out the gist of the column, I thought, oh, he's going to get down to Kyle Whittingham, and Norm is going to say he's just like his father, Freddie. And I knew it was coming. <laughs> and, and it came. And Morgan has told us that, or uh, Norm has told us that, because that's Kyle's heaviest influence is his father. And so uh, that you could argue that maybe that's held against Morgan a little bit. Well, man, you're, you're working for uh, a couple of genius coordinators. Uh, Kyle's really good, and he's got his influence from his father, who's deceased now and has been for a few years. But... Uh, recognize him once Bronco Mendenhall once said that his brother Matt who played in the NFL uh, played under Fred Whittingham and I remember Bronco said to me that uh, his brother told Bronco that Fred Whittingham was the best coach he ever had so uh, take that so Morgan may need to get out and if you're going to get out who better to be under than Urban Meyer man the guy has just been overwhelmingly successful. And now, if you get guys get arrested and whatnot, it's going to be on them. Uh, unless you keep them on and on and they just do hideous things. Which doesn't really but seem when to a be professional, how it works. Yeah. When a professional gets arrested, it's more on the professional than the college coach. And we know that Urban had 30-some guys arrested when he was with Florida, and that was bad. And we know about the Aaron Hernandez thing and all that. That doesn't seem to stick on the NFL coach that much. And plus, you're dealing with more mature guys. So what NFL program has had a third of their guys arrested? You normally don't have that. Uh, you, get some, you get some knuckleheads in the NFL for sure. 
but you're not getting to that level as they've grown up and hopefully they've matured and can make better off the field decisions. So I, if it were up to me, if Morgan ever called me, I'd say, man, you got to seriously consider it. I'd never say take it. Uh, that's not my job to be offering that advice, but I certainly would consider, seriously consider it because Urban Meyer is going to be the story next season or certainly a story, if not the story at the beginning of the season, because how is he going to do Because if we ever had somebody this wildly successful at multiple places and then go in the NFL, Pete Carroll, we know he did it at SC, and he's had massive success in Seattle. You'd have to consider his run big-time successful with one Super Bowl and should obviously had another, but they've been, certainly they've changed over personnel largely, and they're still a postseason division-winning team, which means something. You know, saying you get to the playoffs in the NBA doesn't really mean as much, but saying you got to the playoffs in the NFL, that certainly means something there. You've got to, if you go to the playoffs in the NFL, you've bought yourself five years. Now, eventually, if you keep losing, you're going to have yeah. a problem. I think that's what Marvin Lewis had at Cincinnati. But yet Marvin Lewis has been interviewing for head coaching jobs left and right now. Yeah, so when you're Easy. when you're one of 12 out of 32 teams going to the playoffs, it sounds different than when you're 16 out of 30. But as the NFL expands their playoffs, I don't know that Chicago's coaches are getting that much cachet from taking an 8-8 eight and eight team to the playoffs. Well, I suppose Washington at seven and nine dimensions. Yeah, Washington at seven and nine probably is because the owners widely viewed as having run that franchise into the ground and be impossible to win for. And so to pull that off while playing three different quarterbacks. Um, yeah, plus it's Rivera's first year. And it's so Rivera's first year, time. and he's coming in from a place where he won before. So he probably gets and he something. He had out cancer of that. this year. He had <laughs> lymphoma. I know all about yeah. lymphoma. I know it firsthand, not in my own body, but in my spouse's body. So I saw exactly what that person had to go through. So uh, Jay Hill's wife had to go through it. It's very, very difficult. And so obviously in Washington, he's fine. But it'll be an interesting development here over the next uh, few days. All right. We'll keep our eye on Jacksonville, but uh, everybody's waiting for the press conference to be announced. I mean, that's where this is trending. Uh, When are you going to do this? DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Big trade in the NBA. James Harden out of Houston, lands in New Jersey. Four teams, three of them Brooklyn. In, in the East. Uh, he's going to Brooklyn, yes. Uh, but Indiana and Cleveland get involved. Dante Exum and all of this ends up in Houston. Uh, the NBA, the Jazz, Craig Bowlerjack coming up next. Stay with us. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. You know I was babysat until 8th grade. Dolores Arnold used to babysit me every day after school. And Dolores? Her husband. Yeah. Look how you got like 220 <laughs> pound 8th grade hands. Well, Can we not focus on that? You walk in like, hey Dolores. Hi Hans. I think it's funny the thought of a 8th grade Hans Olsen probably pushing two bills. <laughs> sitting in and being babysat. You guys let me know when you're done <laughs> so I can finish my story. Tell us more about Dolores. Anyways, her husband, Don, liked MASH. Sitting next to Don on the couch watching MASH. Hey, (laughs) Don, can I borrow your shaver? (laughs) Catch Hans 
and Scotty every day. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Craig Bullerjack's weekly interview is presented by University of Utah Health. Trusted health care provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours. Time to welcome in the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bullerjack. Bowler, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are the Utah Jazz after a long road trip? Four and two well, on what was supposed to be a seven-game trip. But, on what was supposed yeah. to be a seven, but they came home a day early, and I don't think they probably minded that, having to go from Cleveland to Washington, then back home to Salt Lake City. Nothing like putting the schedule together where you, you, you work your way back home instead of going all the way to the East Coast and back. But, no, I you know I think some positive things came out of it. Um, you know, Donovan made the statement. Uh, we got to find out, you know, who we truly are. And I think slowly they've begun to chip away at that, even himself. I think there's a, seems to be a little bit more of a consistency there. Um, you know, Bogey's been up and down, but Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson have been as consistent as you would, you know, you could imagine. So, uh, you know, good things. But also teams that were decimated by injury. I think the one positive uh, is they didn't play down to the opponent. Um, most of the trip, they got a nice win in San Antonio, Milwaukee, um, you know, coulda, shoulda in New York. Uh, Brooklyn is not the same team than it was a, a, about a what a week ago. So, you know, the ever changing NBA. But you know, I thought I thought it was good. Uh, I thought it was good. And tomorrow night, Atlanta. Then you go back on the road. Then you get a homestand, and it could be a, a nice a nice uh, run to the end of the month. So I was telling DJ this little story with the game the other night being on early. My wife's not a big uh, NBA fan regular season, but with a 5 o'clock start, I'm going to be watching it upstairs, and so she's going to be sitting there, uh, see the TV on, and uh, the other night the favors comes out and just gets a bunch of blocks right off the right off the bat, and she says to me, wow, Fave is really playing well this year, and it got me thinking that that is just a major upgrade and yep. over the course of time, which is what the season postseason is, those types of things make a difference. Oh, PK, it's, I think it's already been so impactful because once you know Rudy goes to the bench, whether it's for uh, you know a break, foul trouble, uh, there's really no drop-off in the sense of what the second unit's going to do. You know, obviously Clarkson's having a special year, um, and you know, and Joe's healthy and playing. It's it's uh, you know it's. He's trying to find his way, but D. Faves just does the little things. You know, three blocks um, just the other night, and you know he's just a defensive presence and a rebounder. Doesn't take a lot of shots. Uh, he's averaging between you know fourteen, seventeen minutes. You know that could change as the season goes on. But uh, you know you're right, and, and your lovely wife's right. I mean, she, he makes an impact, and I think there's just a sensibility with the second unit that there's no drop off. Nothing nothing against Tony Bradley who was still in that developmental stage, but you bring Brad back favors who knows really the system, the coach, uh, the teammates, his locker room. Uh, he just, you know, fits in. Um, is he an offensive, you know, juggernaut? He could be on some nights, but mostly his job I think he understands to be a defensive presence and rebound and give second chance opportunities and then play at the rim, you know, for buckets is what he, what we saw him do before and also what he's doing now. 
So, Bowler, you know how the show works. Uh, PK handles all the positive stuff, and then I handle all the negative stuff. Yeah, right, yeah. So, Joe Ingles loved his consecutive game streak, and he loves playing. And when he missed a game, I thought, that Achilles is probably way worse than whatever one sentence I hear describing it is. And then he misses a second game, which I actually think, well, the streak's gone, and they all know they can win this game by 30 without Joe. And they won the game by 30 without Joe. So I don't put up the red flag for the second game so much, but the first one, and knowing the Memento curse story, yeah, got to yeah. say it makes me queasy. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, and I don't get to examine it, so I'm only going off what I can see on TV. But i got to say the red flag is really up for me. Well, you know, the other part of it, too, though, he had the night's rest and he came back, and then there was another, you know, the, 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 the second night. Um, you know, obviously in Cleveland. But then I wondered to myself, too, uh, if we're looking at conspiracies here, uh, what if knowing that they, the Jazz knew Washington wasn't going to happen before the press mm-hmm. did, yeah. knowing then they had two games that he would not you know, play and allow him to really rest and rehab it until tomorrow night's game against Atlanta could be a real possibility. Uh, but you know what? What you bring up is a great point uh, of memo because we know he tried to play through that and then popped it. Uh, we're just thinking about it the other night. Uh, was it Denver? Yeah, it was in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, the playoffs against the Nuggets, and he went down, and of course, the career was forever changed. So, you know, as as, as years go on, and the technology and the investment. You know, you look at age, but still Durant popped in Achilles at what age, 30, 30 or 31, and now he's 32. Uh, yeah, you got to be careful. And so I think you, you know, you just, when you hear Achilles, uh, you back off and you let a player make the decision along with doctor's input. But yeah, for yeah, Joe but- to step away from 384, uh, you know, the 400 number, you know, I thought was obviously something on his radar. For this year and beyond, but I figured the same thing that you know something's flared up that uh, isn't going to allow him on the floor tonight to stop such a streak. Uh, maybe it takes the pressure off of him as well. But that's not Joe. You guys know Joe as well as anybody. I mean, Joe isn't that way. He wants to play, and that's uh, that's 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 the driving force behind his game. I do think, though, when he is playing, and I asked him this the other day uh, after the practice that he looks way more comfortable in my mind and my eyes with the second team than he did last year. Yeah, he's talked about that, PK, just the other day. He finally opened up a little bit on, on the Zoom uh, media call. Um, and, he, you know, that, that was the question. You know, I think it, you know, if I was in his shoes, look, as a starter, it's an adjustment. You want to be a starter in this league. And I know he says the right things, but, I think he feels comfortable too, PK, with with uh, his pocket guy, Faves, back, and you know he's really terrific with assists and open passing. I mean, he's got a great touch, uh, but he's got Jordan Clarkson running with him. And I think it's a really impactful second unit, and I think it takes time, you know, for anybody. I would for me to say, okay, my role's changed. Uh, I can start if needed, but basically, ninety percent of the time, this is what I'm going to be doing. Uh, depending on matchups, but I think he, to your point, yes, from last year to this year, I think he understands uh, even more so, and he's fit that role much, much better. Even though he had the slow start to three, he hasn't forgotten how to shoot the three ball. There's no doubt, and he'll have 
you know, that's the rhythm that you have to get used to. I think he was talking about is when you come off the bench, it's now. And uh, you don't have a chance to really warm up while you're, uh, you know, on the floor as a starter. You have to watch and learn while you wait your turn and then uh, make an impact when you jump on the floor. And I think, you know, he's, he's there. I, I just hope he stays healthy uh, because he's a big part of what the Jazz do. So nobody really likes to call out other individual players by name, but I think one of the big reasons Joe is better this year is because he is surrounded by better players. And I think when he was on the floor, at the, especially at the start of last season, obviously Clarkson was an upgrade when he came, but right. there were not enough players who were a good offensive threat, and so he wasn't getting open looks, and he didn't have anyone to throw the ball to who could finish Anyone might be a little bit of a stretch, but there were usually two non-scorers on the floor with him when yeah. he was playing. There were a lot of his minutes where there were two non-scorers on the floor, and that was a problem. And now when he goes out there, yeah, they're, they're, they're backups, but they can all score. When they, when they are told to space the floor, everyone can execute their role, which means he doesn't he see the second defenders often, and when he does— Whoever he gives the ball to can score from wherever they are on the floor at that moment. So now he looks great. I really think it's because he's out there with five good players or four other good players instead of two other good players. Yeah, and I'll toss into this. I think the rotation, he also plays with starters. And so I think you're right. No matter what Quinn has, he's been kind of tight on his rotations with eight, maybe nine with Mieoni. But uh, Joe's also getting a chance to be on the floor with a couple of starters. Uh, whether it's Mike at one time or Donovan, what have you, it, it, with the guards. But, no, I'm with you. I, I just think the fact that Jordan Clarkson now uh, is is such a big part of that second unit and, and Joe and Derek Favors have reunited, uh, yeah, there there's energy there. And I think Joe's excited. He was forced to take shots late last year, mm-hmm. too, I thought, in, in shot clocks because he was really, as you said, the, the only viable option offensively. So – the pressure to hit those shots, he was looking around going, well, I've got to do my thing. And, and at times it was it was difficult to watch. And the reason why they pulled the trigger, and I'll be honest, you know, Dante just has battled injuries throughout. And, and I don't know if he'll ever, you know, achieve the status or the level that the Jazz hoped he would. And, and now, obviously, he's in, he's in Cleveland, but injured again. Well, but to get now. Jordan Clarkson back in return, unbelievable unbelievable trade that has made uh, a, a big difference for this franchise. What do you make of the Harden situation in that massive trade? PK, uh, you know, the league is crazy as it is, but this one just is, is crazy, crazier. You know, I don't know how you guys feel, and I'm sure you guys have had discussions about it. Um, I, I just find it odd that – no, I don't find it odd – I guess it's what the league is today, where a superstar can dictate what he does, where he goes, and how it's done. And I know that disappoints many fans. Um, I'm not sure the big three is going to work. It's going to be a stress on a rookie head coach, Steve Nash, despite the great player that he was. Uh, Kyrie's missing in action. Durant's off an, uh, an Achilles. All three are aging. All three have incredibly heavy contracts. I'm not sure they can coexist. And I'm not sure if the Rockets got, you know, their fair worth. But I, you know, also look what the Nets gave up for that run. I mean, Boston did it. 
uh, aging veterans, and it's just crazy. It's a crazy world out there, and this this trade kind of, to me, is a is kind of a, a definition of what's going on, and also just in the sense of, you know, letting guys dictate where they go and and, and what they do. I mean, can you imagine? In the you know with the Jazz or you know a multitude of teams where a guy just says we're not good enough you know we're and it's I know it it it, it stunned the Rockets and the fan base because he was such probably what would you not say he was the second best player behind behind Juan? Yeah. or maybe he was even at that level I I don't know but yeah that had to be uh, a huge disappointment and the way he came back and the way he's been uh, you know been out of shape and also. You know, hasn't worn the mask, the protocols at the NBA, and the tightening of those protocols just in the last 48 hours. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. But now it's Brooklyn's, uh, you know, problem. We'll see where it goes. So when you uh, look at the Jazz and you look at the other good teams in the West, and there are a lot of teams within a half game or a game of the Jazz – can you see the Jazz being top three at the end of the year? Or what's your level of faith? Yeah, I know you can see it, but what is your level of faith that they actually will be top three and be able to pull it off? Well, I mean, look, they beat the, they beat the Clippers. They beat the Bucks. Uh, they, they have, I think, all the ability, guys, uh, as long as they just run their offense. But look, it's the power of the three, right? Uh, if you hit, you look great. If you don't, then you have to go to a, a, a different way of, of playing and understand that you know you can still score um, inside mid range. Uh, I know that the league is stuck on threes, but you know when the Jazz are, are hitting, they're one of the most impactful teams in the NBA. You know, looking at this, this, the, the top eight right now, it's the Lakers, Clippers, which I think people expected. Uh, the Jazz are right there with the Suns and the Blazers at 7-4. and four. And then comes Dallas, Golden State, and San Antonio will never quit on you. I think maybe Denver, obviously, is a surprise right now. New Orleans uh, is a bit of a surprise at 4-6. and six. And the Rockets, with the turmoil they've had, they're near the bottom with the Timberwolves. So, you know, here we are, 11 games, 12 games in, 13 games in for the Lakers, and you're starting to see the West and the East uh, kind of d- divide itself, and uh, there's a few surprises in there. But to your question, I thought last year the Jazz, you know, had the, p- had the potential to be a home court team. Uh, some thought they'd be number two. Right now they're number three. But man, it's early. And it all depends too on the health of the rest of this of uh, the rest of the West. But it's a difficult. Hey, it's a buzzsaw, as I say every night in this league, man. Uh, Phoenix is a much better club. Chris Paul gives them veteran leadership. You know what the Blazers give you every night with the backcourt. Uh, Dallas is was opposed to or may be one of the top two or three, four teams in the West as the season progresses. So there's a long, long way to go. And you know what the other thing I think will impact? who, What teams play and who stays healthy? What does COVID do uh, to the East and the West? And how many games are going to be postponed or canceled? And how is that going to be played out? You know, at the mid-break and then at the end of the season before playoffs. I'm not sure how – I don't know how the second half of the season is going to work. But obviously, guys, right, will they make up games or do you just play them as is? Uh, or do you, are the standings going to stay as is? So it's going to be interesting. I don't know if the Jazz make up the Washington game. Uh, you know, I know they've got to go back east one more time. Maybe they fit it in some way. 
but that's going to be the big question, I think, as this season continues on, is how many players stay healthy and how many games that they actually play along the way. We're seeing a little uptick right now in games being uh, postponed. I think they replay these games when they announce the second half of the schedule. I think they yeah. only announced half of the schedule on uh, on purpose, but because they've already cut it from 82 to 72, and we know the regional sports networks, most of these teams have got to play about 70 games to get the full right. payday. They do. I figure they're not going below that number. Whatever the number is to get the full payday, they're going to get to that number because they've already given up some ticket revenue. They've already given up some luxury suite revenue, concessions, merchandising. So they're going to get that TV money. Well, here's the thing, too. PK and DJ is that they have a set stop date, right, of, of May 16th. Now, does that have to be extended? But you have to worry about the Olympics as well. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the second half indicates and how long the break is between half one, half two, uh, and then, of course, how long they extend it to make up these games that are starting to now kind of pile up a bit after about a month into the season. So I don't know if it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, you hope. They're doing an incredible thing to try to even play, you know, a season, but they're not in the bubble. There's a lot of responsibility out there with players, and the league made that statement again just two days ago. And that's why I kind of sit back and I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with Brooklyn because you have a couple of players there that seem to be oblivious to what's going on. And that's that could be a real problem for teams um, in the East. Really could. Even though on paper you got the big three, but I'm not sure, PK. I don't know what your thoughts are, man. But I, I don't know that the chemistry is going to work from day one. I really, I really don't. Well, not I, all three. No. Yeah, I don't know if Irving's going to rejoin the team. So yeah, <laughs> there's well, a lot I mean, of question marks out there. Yeah, the talk was they were surprised that wasn't part of the trade, right? But uh, if you can't get him on the floor, um, and you know Harden is what looked to be quite out of shape and not really involved in, you know, being a teammate uh, and, you know, understanding the protocol of the NBA at the time. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Durant's, you know, had an incredible career. He's a great talent, but at the same time, there's a lot of a lot of contract money there that Brooklyn took on. And, uh, uh, you know, it kind of it kind of seems like it's always been that way with the Nets, always trying to, you know, manufacture something. A lot of teams do. And, you know, sometimes it works, but most of the times you get into a situation where it doesn't work. I mean, Durant's had his, you know, he took off from OKC to Golden State, Golden State now to, to Brooklyn, and we'll see how it works out. But that, that's, a, that's a tough task for Steve Nash. There's no doubt. Bowler, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, you got Joe this morning? No, we do not. No, no, no Joe. Okay, I was going to tell you. Tell him to have a cup of coffee on me. Send me the bill. <laughs> Thanks, Bullard. All right, see you soon. Craig Bullard Jack's weekly interview presented by University of Utah Health, trusted health care provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours. With 16 neighborhood health centers, U of U Health has a game plan for your family's care. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. All right, when we come back, Jerry Brewer is going to join us in about 15 minutes to talk NFL playoffs. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal!
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. When I was a teenager, I used to fumigate farm fields. You didn't do that. <laughs> I did, I swear. You I did this. Yeah. No. I had this apparatus that you put on your back, and it sprayed the germicide or whatever it was to protect the crops. I used to have a bandana hanging out the back of my jean pocket. The whole deal. That doesn't make it more believable. Our boy Sven tweets into the show, no one sprays a field of crops with a backpack sprayer. They make tractors it, with giant tanks no, to do that. This was like an enlarged garden area. Okay. Well, it was a farm this, 10 oh, minutes was, ago. Now it's it, a large garden area. It was, it was <laughs> a huge. It's a true story. The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK, we asked a question earlier this morning. BYU, the way they're paying coaches, what should their expectations be? Can they Do they need to pay the going rate for coaches if they want to play and compete in big-time football? And Legally Grand says, well, it would probably be better for them to pay the going rate for players. Am I supposed to laugh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I also think there's some truth to it. I think you've heard stuff. I think we've all heard stuff about the going rate for players. Not BYU, buddy. Don't no, even no, no. broach. College, no, no, no. You're even you're broaching the idea of BYU doing it. So don't give me the no, 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 no. Because by saying it, that's introducing the idea, and I will not even pollute my mind with the thought of that. Jeez. <laughs> Vic says, who owns BYU? End of discussion. God? <laughs> Vic Saunders, by the way, is at one true Aggie. So, Aggie Who owns BYU? Yes. How do you own BYU? What do you mean, how do you own BYU? You own the land, you pay for the buildings. I mean, you own BYU. <laughs> what kind of a question Utah owns BYU. Oh, there it is. How long did it take for you to come up with that? <laughs> Just on. keep firing, PK. Just keep firing away, man. <laughs> Just keep talking. You'll hit He'll something. He'll find it. That's it's right. For 20 years, what the heck? <laughs> um. you're, you're not catching on the land, the creamery, the baseball <laughs> field. No, no, no. Who owns BYU? It's Utah. It's the only, they're the only program that owns BYU. Get with it, you dummy. Snazzy Coog, does number 11 BYU need to change to compete? Nah. We're good, David. I think, though, what, what is in their best interest is maybe they tone down a little bit the scheduling. I mean, it, it worked this year, man. You cannot argue that it worked this year. Everybody and their dog was t- uh, talking about BYU. I couldn't wait till after the show and turn on satellite radio and see what they were saying. New Heisel. Ryan Leaf. Yeah, but they were also the uh, only team playing, and that will always be a one-off because we they assume the going for the only team playing. That's when not they, true when at they all. started getting the hype, they were the only team playing. When, what when are you they played, about? Navy. that's not true. PK, they were the only team in the Western United States playing for two months, and the, the when they kicked off, they were literally on that Labor Day night. They were the only and team. That's playing. not okay. Yeah, but that's they were getting hype in November. Yeah, they were still. Well, by then they had. It. You're right. By then they had it rolling. But do you because think because of the schedule allowed them to have it rolling? That's the whole point. 
and the fact that nobody in the Pac-12 was better than 2-0. and In a normal year, somebody in the Pac-10, Pac-12 would be 8-0 no. or 7-1, and they'd be talking about them. They would be, but there's plenty of time to talk about others. You don't need to just talk about one team. If you're getting one segment and you're on for a three-hour show and your show is exclusively devoted to college football nationally, there's plenty of time. Whereas in the prior years, if they were talking about that, when those situations existed, and I've only had the satellite radio since I went down to Tim Daly, Southtown, and got the car that I'm leasing in uh, a year ago next month, so I can't speak to satellite radio prior seasons until right now, this very season. So I don't know. Maybe they were talking about it when Taysom and Jamal ran for 5,000 yards against Texas, but it was probably more of a Texas conversation. The fact is BYU was in the national conversation this year combined, put it all together since they've been independent. And you can argue, and I know you fans and Aggie fans are screaming at us now, yeah, because they played Little Sisters of the Poor. All right, for argument's sake, they played Little Sisters of the Poor. I'll grant you that. But nevertheless, they were still being talked about way more than they were ever talked about. And you can't say yes. In the beginning, it was because of that, but not in November. And and the USC or Oregon could have been 8-0. Well, they still can talk about them. So that they need to consider this scheduling model. Not to this degree go that low, but maybe if you're playing, if your budget is equal of Boise, should you not play a schedule that is equal of Boise? I think there's a lot of argument that can be made for with the answer being yes. DJ and PK, when we come back, Jerry Brewer, the Washington Post sports columnist, joins us talking NFL playoffs next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.